Hey, Mundo, real, real quick right there before we get into that, just because I'm curious, how did you set it up to where they were caught? In other words, how did you set it up to deflect as much suspicion away from yourself? Like, um, was it a setup or did, was it set? Was, was it like, were they tailing one of the guys and that's what led them to it? How did you, how did they set it up to where they, these guys got, uh, interdicted at the robbery? I, I gave them, I gave the task force the information about them uh, looking to do a takeover bank robbery and that I had given them the game and I had told them how to do it. In fact, I'm the one that suggested rather than uh, rob a teller that they take over the bank. And I said, and so they were going to put surveillance on every player, on every member. And I advised them not to do that. I advised them to surveil Stoney's house. Stoney was one of the guys. Said surveil his house because that's going to be the staging area in San Pedro. So if you surveil everybody, what's going to happen is they're going to one of them can you increase the probability of getting made your 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 tails. So just surveil Stoney's house and you'll see that that will be the staging area and you will know when the time is there and sure enough like a script being written for them they uh they later told me when they saw the cars arrive a couple of cars arrived with some of the players and when they arrived their whole demeanor was complete you know instead of being laughing and and joking whatever they had their game faces on they were very serious and they, they entered they said oh Keep an eye. Let's keep a close eye. So they walk, they enter the house, and when they exit it, they all come out, and you could tell they're 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 they've got uh, 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 what do you call it? duffel bags. They have uh, the, their 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 clothing is uh, buttoned up, and they're they're up to something. So now they've got the the, the I think it was a helicopter. And they have some of the units uh, parallel, uh, doing parallel surveillance. And then at, at, when they saw the, where they ended up, ultimately, they activated, uh, well, robbery homicide took over. And, uh, and that's how they kept in touch. And later they told me after it happened. And so the shootout ensued with two of the, two of the suspects engaged in a shootout. One was killed, the other one was wounded, and two of them surrendered. Uh, so that's how it happened. That's how I... What did the police use, though, as their reason for why they were there? I mean, were they following up? I mean, how did they explain it away? Because you just don't show up. Was it part of a standard surveillance thing? What I'm saying is, what was the police What was the police story um, to keep suspicion away from you? I don't remember, but I, I know that it, 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 did, it did deflect from me, and they didn't know me they didn't know the, the the information they received was from the task force the task force guys had their their robbery homicide contact and said look we're 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 following these guys you know this is going to take place here they so the know. guys on the actual operation had no that's what no. i'm saying they, the, the task force was the cutout they had no idea you even existed no. all it was they were operating on a tip no yes Yes, you're absolutely right. And so, and the task force guys didn't even want to be part of the takedown because they wanted to keep themselves clandestine, you know, uh, uh, you know, in other words, the information I would give them, they would feed to the locals. The locals would do the, you know, the, the arrest, the enforcement, and then they would just be back, you know. It's that's referred to as the Chinese wall where you're protecting your source where the information originally started. Yeah. 
So, means nothing, but that's just what we call it. Okay, so here's the day. The day that I get out, and I'm suspecting I got two, I got two guns. I got a 45 and a nine millimeter. Uh, uh, in, on, in, you know, one on each side of me, <laughs> like that's going to make a difference. If if I'm going to get whacked, I'm going to get whacked. Okay, it doesn't matter how many guns I have, and uh, but it made me feel comfortable, like a teddy bear. And uh, so when I and, and as I'm arriving at Joe Morgan's sister's house, I'm thinking, wait a minute. If these guys are going to whack me, they're not going to whack me at Joe's sister's house, you know. So what do you what are you concerned about? Just drive up, park, act natural like you always do, and and let's see where this is going to go. And so I went. I get off. I knock on the door. His sister answers. She tells me go to the back. Uh, so I go to the back, uh, knock. His wife uh, Jody answers the door. Uh, gives me a hug. I come in. He's watching TV. We're talking, uh, talking business. And then that's when he produced the photograph of, of our bail bonds woman's husband. He's a, a Bob, Bob Morazic. He was a dope dealer. And, uh, and he was the husband of our bail bonds woman who was going through a divorce. So she wanted him killed so she could inherit everything. So what I did is I, I thinking that I was being tested, I had an avenue of escape. All I had to do was pick up the phone and call Chile and tell him, okay, guys, I'm, I'm being asked to coordinate a hit. Uh, he, they, they, he doesn't want me to be the trigger man. He wants me to get a game youngster. And, and then I bow out because once I do that, then all suspicion is going to come to me. But what did I do? I did everything but pull the trigger. I, I recruited the game youngster. I, I, I justified it because he was a dope dealer. You, you see what I'm saying? So I regressed in that regard. I mean, I mean, there's probably many, many law enforcement guys that'll say, who cares? So, so many, many, even in the law enforcement community would say, who cares about this guy? You're, you're, uh, you're bringing us bigger fish. And, you know, I, but I think the average police officer would not justify that, but I, I know there's some that would, but it doesn't matter who would and who wouldn't. At the end of the day, I made a decision to to keep my undercover status intact and to keep and to and to deflect any possible suspicion on me. I I carried this. I found it easy to revert to an old way and was responsible for this guy getting killed. You know, that was the the country. Well, you, you mentioned a, a term a while ago, if you could explain it. You said that you didn't feel like they were right. trying to rock you to sleep. It rock, when you rock somebody to sleep, or and I use the other term, to play somebody out, out of the box. When you, when, you rock, when you play somebody out of the box or you rock them to sleep, you make them feel comfortable like everything's okay. But in reality, you're setting them up to be killed. You know, you don't telegraph your intentions. Hey, what's that? Hey, uh, Steve Murphy, long time no see. All right, brother. You know, we go here, go to a restaurant, and 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 all all along we're we're setting you up. You know, yeah. So yeah, um, gotcha. 
Yeah, I know. I hate to be rocked and, to sleep. And so, well, see, in my case, I wasn't going to be rocked <laughs> to sleep, but it's like knowing when to fold them, knowing when to fold the tent. And in this case, uh, I went. I went all the way. I went, you know what I mean? I went rogue. And I kept that to myself. Uh, I kept that to myself until the murder charges were reopened. I think I mentioned uh, Morgan was biting at the bit to find out what had happened in, on the last episode. And, uh, and, and uh, remember Morgan? And, uh, and, I, and I said, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. You know? and, yeah, yeah. And well, they did reopen the, the murder cases. And when that happened, I said, you know, I, I got that coming. I get that. You know, for, for for not being faithful to uh, to my mission, you know, of saving lives. Here I am talking about not wanting to do, wanting to help put away people who were doing the same thing I was doing, and look what I ended up doing. You see, if it came easy to do that, you know. So what happened? Oh, he, he was uh, he was killed. He was uh, it was a contract hit. Uh, the kid. Uh, I, I drove one of the getaway cars. He, uh, Artie, uh, Artie Guzman, uh, the game youngster, uh, walked up to him with the 45 I supplied, uh, walked up to him at his place of business in Seal Beach, uh, ascertained that it was him. He had a picture to study. He knew what he looked like. He had his business card to make sure that when he asked for him specifically, when the guy answers, you make sure that 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 is him, and then the forty-five you put that sucker up to his head and make sure he's dead, and that's what happened. He he, he killed him. Uh, one getaway driver uh, brought him to my my vehicle, and the getaway driver was my brother Angel. Brought brings them. They both come to my vehicle. I told them how to do it. Take their time. Do not rush. Do not speed. If you see a black and white, act normal. Do not accelerate. And when you get to me, you just uh, casually get out of the car. Uh, and then I instructed them further. Once they were in my vehicle and I'm driving off, the 405 freeway was nearby. Uh, they took off their, 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 their sweatshirts, uh, gave them to my brother who was in the front seat to put in the glove compartment, murder weapon, glove compartment. Uh, told Artie to lay down uh, uh, in the back seat, and then we once we're on the four hundred five, we're gone. You know, so all all of this. Yeah, keep doing that. But you also mentioned that they reopened the cases. You said something about also reopening cases. Oh yeah, yeah. So then, so when they reopened the two murder cases from Kern County, the ones that I had been released on, I'm talking about how. Um, I I saw that as poetic justice. I you know, and I realized, okay, you know, this you had the cases dismissed earlier. That was a blessing. Now you're going to pay for for digressing. This is my thought. This is me thinking that you know, like this. So I'm I'm kind of resigned to the fact that I'm going back. And so now that I'm back in custody, now everybody is aware that I. I'm an, I'm up front. So now there's paperwork on me. And so everybody is made aware that I am an informant. So I called Chili in. I said, Chili, uh, so I got one when I worked undercover that you're not aware of. 
And I'm, I'm going to let you know right now. And you know, we, we worked out a, a, a deal with the prosecutor and uh, for immunity against my brother and myself. My brother was, you know, he was a getaway driver. The one they wanted was Joe Morgan, who put out the contract. They wanted Helen Morazic, the wife, and they wanted the trigger man. And so I, uh, I testified against all three of them in that case. And in return for that, you got immunity for that charge. And what about the other two cases? Uh, No, the other two cases were not part of that uh, thing at all. No. Yeah. I ended up going, I ended up pleading guilty for the two murders, uh, second degree murders. And I ended up doing like another five years, which is nothing. It's easy easy for me to say. Yeah. I was going to mention the scorn of a jilted woman is not to be trifled with, you know, <laughs> taking the yeah. husband out. Holy cow. Um, but so you went back after you got out. How long are you out between when you beat the the murders, the f- two murders the first time when they were dismissed and you're out and you're working undercover and then you go back in and do your five years? How much difference in time? You're about 27 then. When did you go back in? Um, 78. So I was, tw- I was still 27. You weren't even out a year then. No. You came full circle in a year. 14, wow. Well, 14 months I worked undercover from March of 77 till May of 78. And about the last month was when the when uh, when this attorney, I mean this judge told me they were going to reopen the cases. I told the task force I'm going to uh, I'm going to disappear for a little bit. I'm going to take the vacation I've never taken because of uh, working undercover with you guys. And then when I turn myself in, I'm going to turn myself into you guys. Well, I get I got arrested before that happened, as I mentioned in, in the last episode. And uh, and uh, and I remember one time calling uh, Howard Kingman to check in to let him know that I was checking in. I says, "Look, I, I I'm not going to renege on what I said. I am going to turn myself in." Uh, and, uh, (laughs) oh, you're going to, oh no, you're going to get this. This is okay. So I told Howard that, and then I remember telling him, you know, Howard, I own, I, I own two houses outright. I own three or four cars. I have 500 Dodger tickets for the, for the uh, 78 season in, in, and I, I, I've got unlimited amount of drugs, I'm not unlimited, but I had, you know, I had some drugs. I have, I have money, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I I feel like crap. Uh, And so, you know, it it was me just uh, using Howard as a sounding board. And, uh, and, you know, Howard understood. And, you know, for all I know, they may have tapped my phone. I, I, I don't know. And, and I don't care. And, and also, I, I think I told you that I gave up the Morazic hit after the two murders were reopened and I was in custody. No, I, I didn't. I gave it up while I was still on the run. I, uh, I, I told Chile, and let me tell you why I, I, I remember this now. I told Chile, I said, Chile, I, I screwed up. And I explained to him. And then he said, okay, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have to work with that. And he and he said, "Now, where's the murder? What what happened to the murder weapon?" So I threw it. I threw it in Lake Lake Park, uh, in the lake. And so they sent an LAPD diving team to the area where I 
specifically told him where I was standing when I threw the gun. And the diving team couldn't find it. So Chili asked me if I, he said, I don't know where you're at, but is it possible for you to come and meet with us? <laughs> Steve, you probably are going to recognize that as an old DEA trick, maybe, but it doesn't matter. It's, I don't know what you talk about. I, I, know, I know, I know. Juju on the run. Hey, we don't know where this is. Would you just meet us? We'll let you go when it's over. Yeah. But just come meet us, point it out, and then you can go back on the run again. And, yeah. And, yes. And I told him, okay. Uh, he said, just going to be me and Steve, the, uh, another task force guy. He said, just going to be Steve and I, and we'll, uh, once you come and show us where you were standing when you threw the gun, then you're, you're, you can leave. You're gone. You're out of here. Okay. I said, but you know, you know, Gail, I'm taking you at your word. If, if you renege on your word to me, I'm not testifying in any case. And uh, so I want you to know that. He goes, no, I'm not going to break my word. So I, when I arrived there, he, 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 he appeared all nervous as if I was being followed. Maybe, you know, and, and <laughs> I'm putting Gil on the hot seat, but no, Gil's long retired. Uh, uh, and so I went to the area and I said, I stood like this and I threw the gun like an arc, like I did with my arm, you know, like an arc. I said, I threw it. So it had to have landed in this area. Okay. All right. Go, go. So I left. By then, they probably planted some shit, something in my car. Doesn't it? Doesn't matter. Uh, I wish that really did happen to make the story more juicy. But but they never they never. Dude, admit- the, the story's juicy enough. You I don't know. Have to add anything to. I it. know. I know. I know. No, I'm saying if it really did happen, if if it really did happen, where they bugged my car or whatever, uh, uh, I wish Gil would just tell me. But uh, you know, he uh, he. Uh, he said no. He swore to me, no, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't do that. You got arrested on your own, and blah blah blah. And, and again, it doesn't matter. It, it uh, so they found a sheriff's diving team. The way I get the story, uh, this time it was a sheriff's diving team that came, and they found the weapon. So they used that against LAPD. LA sheriffs used that against them. They, you know, they got a rivalry. Uh, uh, <laughs> they used a, they used that against them for I don't know how many years. You know. Yeah, you guys couldn't even find the gun and, you know, this and that. So, anyway, so that's that's how that was revealed uh, initially. And then when I was remanded to custody, uh, then I had to sit down with the special prosecutor and we worked out our, our, our immunity thing and and that was... How did you not slip back into the life all over again once you went back to prison? Because now they know you're an informant. Now they know you've been working with the police. Um, I mean, I guess that kind of keeps you segregated, right, from the other folks. Or how yeah. did they handle your confinement the second time? Oh, they put me in a high power. It was a unit in Tehachapi, 13 cells. Oh, there were 13 cells, and every inmate in those cells was a— was a prison gang dropout from either the Mexican Mafia, the Nuestra Familia, or the Aryan Brotherhood. And all of them were testifying actively in cases. Weren't you worried about somebody poisoning your food? Oh, no, no. It was all handled by by, uh, staff. We were a completely separate unit, completely. uh, There's no way. I mean, you know what I mean. And those staff handled everything there. And, And plus, I spent more time out of that facility testifying in cases 
than I did behind bars. Yeah, they 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 would come for me to testify uh, throughout California. They had me uh, in uh, Fresno, uh, Northern Cal, Southern Cal, and they, and they'd house me for extended periods, you know, months at a time, uh, in different uh, locations. But but even then, did the temptation not um, rear its ugly head to say, "Hey, look, you know, I could get back into this life again"? Or was oh, no, it after? No, no, no. It wasn't going to enter uh, my my. Uh, even when I did that, the act that I did of the uh, bail bonds uh, woman, the contract killing, the contract yeah. killing. When I did that, I felt like crap. I felt I felt horrible, and I felt uh, I'm surviving, but. You know the explanation to that. There was a, a remedy for that. Well, there was another. Did, did I tell you guys about when we were going to kill uh, this guy uh, that had four daughters and a wife on one of the episodes? I don't, I don't think so. No, I don't believe so. Okay. No. My, my, I had a separate residence that even the task force didn't know about. And let's let's look let's kind of book in this. Tell us in time where does this happen at? Because you got out when you're 27, you're out for 14 months, you're back in for five years. Does this happen during the time you're out, or after? Or when does this happen? Well, all everything I'm talking about right now is all going to be uh, when I worked undercover. Uh, the 14 months. The 14 month period undercover. So I was 20, 27 years old, or you know, okay. So I maintained a residence in the city of Pico Rivera for the purpose of, of stockpiling weapons. One of my responsibilities, remember now, if I'm not pulling triggers, uh, I'm involved in the drugs. Plus, I would, any new member that would get paroled, I'd give them a weapon, some gate money, a couple thousand dollars, and some drugs. I had weight scales, and of course, the task force can't know about this residence. I can't let them know that because they're not they're not supposed to be in agreement with me selling drugs, right? So I can't, you know, that's so that's my uh, uh, pad that nobody knows about except the fellas. And uh, so one day, the, I got robot and shotgun. I just gotten out of prison, and uh, robot brings them down to the, to the uh, Pico Rivera place. And we're, we're in the place. I gave him some money, gave him some drugs and he wants to do some work. He wants to, uh, while, while we're waiting to be resupplied, he wants, uh, to do something. Can I give him a connection to rip off somebody, an independent dope dealer that's selling drugs that he can rip off. And I inadvertently slipped and mentioned Poncho. And Poncho was also a target. He was an Emmett target. And so when I, when, when I said that, I'm like, oh, shit. And now he lit up like a Christmas tree. He says, well, that's the guy that we're supposed that what's his name wants him hit for X, Y, Z reason. So anyway, I couldn't talk my way out of it. I, my, what I wanted to do was case out the place. I told him he's got four daughters, three or four daughters and a wife. I said, we can't just go to his house because, uh, you know, there's a, there's a way to do these things. You know, why don't we case it out? And isolate him. You know, he doesn't know we're coming. Let's hey, isolate. Mundo, yes. Real quick on that point. You said there's a way to do this. What was the 
code of ethics, you know, everybody's got ethics aren't our ethics, right? But you still have your code of ethics, your yeah. code of conduct. When you had a green light on somebody and you had a target on somebody like Poncho, is the family off limits yes. or are they fair game or no. what's the, what's the rules? It is to eliminate collateral damage. That kind of collateral damage, you minimize, you eliminate it. In a case like Poncho, if you know where the target is, there's no reason to go to his residence and knock him off when you know he doesn't know you're coming. So when he, when, and sooner or later, he's going to leave his residence. He's comfortable living there. If, if he, if he was paranoid, he wouldn't even be living there with his family. Uh, so, so it wasn't like we couldn't get to him, but shotgun insisted, let's go right now. And robot, who's a sound of reason, he thinks like me, he agreed with shotgun. So I was outvoted two to one. So get this. Now we're in two separate cars. The car that shotgun is driving, be, that's following us, it's got uh, the guns are in the trunk of his car. Okay. And apparently he had a handgun in the passenger seat in, in the front where he's driving. Robot and I are in the front car in the Cadillac. He's following us, and when we get about four blocks from the target's residence, I had already made up my mind. I'm processing all this as I'm talking to Robot, and we're on our way and everything, and I had already made up my mind that there's a, there's a sawed-off shotgun in the trunk and a couple of handguns. I was going to make sure that I got the sawed-off shotgun, and, and it doesn't take three of us to kill Poncho. The chances of collateral damage, all of them being female, the daughters and the and the wife, are high because we're going into the residence. All right. So my thoughts were: if Poncho is there alone, which is very doubtful, it doesn't take three of us pulling triggers. They can they can go ahead, or shotgun can kill them, or shotgun and robot can kill them, and I could stand guard, and then call chili when when they're done right okay um but if i see one female one one of the girls or the wife in my mind i had no option but to blow away shotgun and robot with the shotgun and then throw myself at the mercy of the task force and tell chili this is what i've done i did it to save their lives and Whatever, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So, so check what happens. We're on the frontal street of Huntington Drive. There's like a, 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 a frontal street that runs parallel to the Huntington Drive. And there's buildings all the way to this corner. Shotgun passes us. Like he got impatient or whatever. He passes us and he runs the stop sign. And he makes a right. And, run, and runs a stop sign. When we arrive at the stop sign, I stop. I'm driving. I stop at the stop sign. I make a right. And, he, and he's pulled over by an LAPD black and white that had another car pulled over on a traffic thing. They must have obviously seen him run the stop sign. And immediately pulled him over and he complied. We kept driving about a half a block. And then we made a quick right, got off the car walked a little bit to, and looked and they had them handcuffed and they had the trunk open. So now we knew they, 
they found they got into the trunk. They found the weapons. Well, didn't you say he had a weapon with him in the front seat? That's what gave them the probable cause. Yeah. 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 See, Murph, there's a role for traffic cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh. Well, but and that's the reason I thought you were saying that you wanted the shotgun. Number one, shotgun's not a highly accurate weapon, uh, uh, and especially when it's sawed off. So that in the hands of somebody crazy, you know, there could be collateral damage. But, um, but do you see? I mean, your logic, while it's sound, it's it's perverse, right? It's like, yes. well, I'm gonna I'm setting this thing up, but if they go to do that, I'm gonna kill them instead. Yeah, yeah. When did you finally break that way of thinking? Because I got to tell you, dude. Um, yeah. You, I know you're, 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 you're loose right cannon. there ready to go back to prison. Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, that's, uh, I guess, well, I'll, I'll tell you where I think when they remanded me to custody, remember they arrested me in Atlantic Square in the last episode, I, I, I described to you how all these agencies converge and I thought I was going to be in the middle of a shootout. And, uh, they, so they took me into custody. They took, and I, I end up in the county jail, and they put me in the in the, what's called the Emma Tank, uh, seventeen fifty. That's the module for Mexican mafia members. So I'm there with Joe Morgan, with Robot, with all and all the who's who's of the, the that, are, that are that are in the county. They're all embracing me. Uh, hey, what's up, brother? And I tell how they they reopen the murder cases in Bakersfield. Blah blah blah. So doesn't Joe want you killed at this point? He doesn't know. Nobody knows. He doesn't know. No. Oh, okay. Nobody no, no, knows. None all of right. this is none of this is revealed until the paperwork. Paperwork wasn't. They, there's no way there's going to be paperwork on me while I'm undercover. Now I'm in custody and there's still not going to be paperwork until I come, I come up front and begin uh, to interview with prosecutors, which I've already done. Well, no, I hadn't. I hadn't interviewed with the special prosecutor yet. The task force had that under wraps. And, and again, if, if the task force was involved in my apprehension, well then cool you know that's good and but it but now there's paperwork but not yet i'm still there with the fellas so there's nothing on me otherwise i'd be a dead duck so uh, we take turns using the public phone to make phone calls to attorneys to family members whatever so they relinquish the phone to me so i could uh, make a phone call so i did pretended to call a relative but i in reality i'm calling chili and I'm telling Chili, you know what? Uh, all I'm, all I'm getting here is just a bunch of bullshit of who's got to get whacked, and they're, you know, they're, they're telling me, well, this guy's going to die, but we don't want to kill him in here because we got to do it this way, and so they're telling me everybody that's going to get killed, but I don't want to hear it anymore. I, I'm no longer, I, 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 I'm going, I'm facing time. I'm going, I've got a stretch to do. I've, I've already served my purpose. I got cases. I'm going to give them. Uh, uh, that, that, you know, they already have ready to, to roll. And now all these guys, I'm, I'm just got a headache from hearing all the bullshit, all the, all the nonsense. So he says, so are you telling me you want, uh, do you want me to tell the commander that, uh, to pull you out of there? In other words, that if it's up to him, as long as I'm not in danger, just stay undercover, right? For, for stay for, collecting for, intel, conversations, <laughs> yeah, planning but, what's going on, right? Yeah, but I was no longer comfortable. I was no longer buying it, no longer interested. And so they uh they they locked me up. They took me to the hospital section of the jail. I was escorted and uh 
that's where they that's where they kept OJ Simpson uh years later when he when he did his thing. So that's apparently that's when I was done completely with everything. The games, the uh, the rogueness, the profiting from being undercover, for uh you know, sliding back into that world because I I knew how to do it. Whatever. I don't want to say you're a cat like with nine lives, but man, you, you got so many bites at the apple that your average person, especially your average banger, your average, you know, Mexican mafia, yeah. you never, I mean, you, you got more chances than anybody else. I mean, Murph, have, do you know anybody else listening to the story that got as many bites at the apple as him? No, no, the, uh, not nearly the, the freedom that you were given. <clears throat> I mean, in today's world, especially in DEA, the agent probably would have been brought up on charges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been pretty, pretty uh, embarrassing as understatement. Yeah. Well, different time. But, you know, one thing is with our remaining time, too, we wanted to talk about, too, um, which, by the way, that was new information. Um, but you're finally out of it. But. But let's kind of bring it forward, too, because one of the other topics we wanted to talk about, too, because everybody's listening to this and to go, it's, you know, in some ways, it's like, it's exciting. People live vicariously. They live through your eyes. They live through somebody else's eyes. They go, gee, what would it be like to do that? They can live without taking the risk. But then cops kind of get caught up in this, too. It's kind of like you, we see people who investigate dope or certain gangs. It's like, well, it's not just I'm a gang investigator. I do Mexican mafia or I do the Colombo family or I do organized crime or I, I'm a cartel. Yeah. I'm I'm. Yeah. Setting it up to where there's like a caste system, I am perceived to be at a higher level than anybody else. And you had an interesting comment about that because you said you wanted to talk about demystifying this whole thing around gangs and gang investigations. Let's get into that. What did you mean by that? What do you see as the issue um, because of that? And this might be misconstrued by some, but 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 uh, when I hear it, it kind of I don't know. It kind of gives me a heebie-jeebies. I I know many uh, knowledgeable gang cops, and when I interact with a lot of them, or when I did in uh, in recent years and decades, uh, many times I would hear them talking. Some of the guys talking about a character, whether it's Joe Morgan, whether it's Mike Eisen, uh, Kilroy, Big D, Donald Garcia was a boxer and a killer, and. Uh, and these guys would use the term where well, they would say things like, you know, I had a lot of respect for him. I had a lot of respect. That guy was a legend, uh, you know, this and that. And I totally get what they're saying because you have, uh, let's just use the cartel as an example. You have, gr- uh, when I say groupies, you have guys that, thrive on the status of the detail they work, whether it's cartel, whether it's mob at a different scale, prison gang, Aryan Brotherhood, Mexican Mafia. So I get that they're coming from that perspective. But nevertheless, it just rubs me the wrong way when I hear them almost glorifying these guys. And I've had officers tell me that there are guys that they actually do glorify them. They hold them up in a pedestal. And me, as as the years have gone by, especially, I look at it like, if we want to get to the young people and demystify, 
you got to burst the bubble. And how do you burst the bubble? By giving them the reality check of what that life is about, how deceptive it is, how disloyal it is. They use the word loyalty. There is no loyalty. You're expendable at the end of the day. If they think, if somebody wakes up at the wrong, see, one thing, one thing you get in prison, you get the ability, you have plenty of time. And, you know, I know that sounds funny. You know, you got time. You're doing, <laughs> you're in prison doing time. That's all but you've got is time, right? That's all you got is time. You have time to think. So, uh, Morgan, if you and I have a, some good uh, rackets going, I'm in prison. You're on the streets. Hey, I'm 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 uh, reaping benefits from my prison cell, and Murphy is one of our big money earners. But now we get hit with some Ricos, and we're scrambling to cover our bases. So what do you do when you cover your bases? You start eliminating people, right? That might know too much. They can bring you down. Murph's getting a little nervous here. So Murph. Murphy knows too much. Murphy no, is... I've, I've never heard that said before. Hold on a second. Is that true, Murph? <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, Mundo. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying. I'm using him as an example. Uh, Murphy, Murphy knows too much. So I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I go, Morgan, I hate to tell you this, but we need to do something about Murphy. And you're like, why? No, me and Murphy, I mean, we're good. I said, dude, it's not about you. It's not about any anything but making sure that the loose ends are taken care of. We, you know, we tie up all loose ends. He's got too much knowledge that can put us away and other brothers. So that's what I mean about expendable. If you're not a made man, if you're not a brother, you are expendable no matter how important you are because you can be replaced. So, Mundo, how would you go about then? Like you said, you don't, it's not like you get this email or a certified letter that says, hey, we want you to go whack Murph. How does that conversation happen to where you just end up saying, yeah, we got to take care of Murph? I mean, um, is it with something like this, is it very specific, like you have to identify the person? Or how does it come about to where? You don't have to really say much, but everybody knows, hey, Murph's got to go. There's, uh, you know, I, I think we talked about this before, but there's multitudes of way of communicating this. You can communicate it in coded talk. Uh, you know, you can make a joke out of it. Like we had a, a sane Alfie. Alfie was one of our triggermen. Uh, Alfie Sosa, the one I got in, in Tijuana, the one I told you, uh, I talked about earlier. Okay. Alfie, uh, and, 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 and a circle of us that were part of a, a a hit squad, we had a uh, a way of communicating when we talked about having a, a bottle of Thunderbird. You know, Thunderbird is uh, is wine, cheap wine. From back when I was a kid, when whenever you would drink cheap wine, it was Thunderbird. And that's, that's what a kid could afford, the cheapest wine, if you're going to go to the store and buy, somebody's going to buy T-Bird. So when we would use that term, Hey, when you see uh, when you see uh, Johnny, uh, uh, give him my best and uh, and have a bottle of thunder, uh, have a bottle of T Bird with him. All right, yeah, I'll do that. I'll get nice and drunk on your behalf or whatever. So we turn it into a uh, whenever the word Thunderbird would come out, that was the code for killing that person. 
But it could be anything. It doesn't have to be T-Bird. I'm just using that as an example. What I'm saying, but that's, that would be understood between you. If you told somebody, hey, let's go out and have a bottle of T-Bird with the guy, that was implied that, okay, he's got to go. Yes. With, with enough people, a, a circle of people. So if I told you that and Murph didn't know that code, well, you already know. So then when you uh, hook up with Murph, you tell him, hey, I just got word from Mundo. We need to take care of this person. You don't have to tell him we have a code word called Thunderbird. You know, you just tell him this person's got to go. And then boom, you know, it's it's taken care of. Well, and so let's let's wrap that back into what we were talking about, about demystifying stuff, because at the end of the day, like you say, it, it's not as sexy as you think. I mean, it's it's a hard life. It's a rough life. Yeah. Um. You know, somebody one day, they're dead tomorrow. Um, but how do you, so when we talk about demystifying it and, and bringing it down a notch, not glorifying this stuff, well, how do we do it? How do we do it from the law enforcement side? How do we do it from the uh, community side, well, you know, from the, the kids? Yeah. Well, with the kids, it's, it's, a, it's an easier task, I think, than, than we think. With the gang members, it's a lot more difficult because they've already bought into it. They're already brainwashed. Uh, the reality check is when you tell them, look, uh, if you screw up, you're expendable, then in their minds, they believe that they can be made. They're, as they're aspiring members. They, they want Their dream is to someday reach that mountaintop where they become inducted and become a member. So they have that, that aspiration. So you you know, they're, they're not going to go against the code. You know, if you're brainwashed, I wasn't going to go against the code. You know, I, there's no way you're going to convince me, you know, with, with your nickel and dime, uh, uh, reasoning, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming from a bad guy's point of view. Your, your nickel and dime psychology and your nickel and dime reasoning is not going to make me churn against my brothers. That would have been my attitude as a brainwashed guy. Okay. so. That's the way they look at anybody coming. I mean, at me, I'm, you know, I'm a bit, that big, that old rat, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm every expletive in, in the world. I, I'm, I'm a turncoat. I turned against them. I, I, uh, when I hear the words and I, and I, when I hear the words, honor, respect, uh, attributed to a gang member, I cringe. Because that shouldn't even be in the same sentence. You know, that should be reserved for our military, our law enforcement. I think I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. And, and, and these guys have a completely different value system that they've uh, uh, adopted. They've created a different value system where to be evil is the right thing to do. To be a criminal is the right thing to do, and to go against it makes you a turncoat, makes you no good. See, it's just like what we're talking about society today, how, how, the, uh, how the suspects turn the table around and make, and make themselves into victims, you know. That's just yeah, that's an excellent point too, because you see, and and our gang investigators are some dedicated individuals. So I'm not calling you out as a group, but uh, I mean Morgan and I we we go to gang conferences and and that's where we met you as a matter of fact. And and uh, you see how these guys are all tatted up like a gang member, and I know some of them are working undercover, but I also know not all of them are working undercover. They just do it because it's it's almost like they've they're. 
it's to a cool degree fact. adopting that that appearance and lifestyle. Well, tattoos, uh, which tattoos today are very, very, very acceptable, more so than ever before. And 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 the proof of the pudding. Look at our look at our beautiful female species. Look at all the women with tattoos. And you don't judge a book by its cover. You don't. You never judge a book by its cover. You know, a lot of them are military. A lot of them are law enforcement. A lot of them are straight good people. I, I have nothing against, and I'm, and I don't, I don't even have nothing against tattoos. All I'm saying is that they've gotten even more. You've got them on their necks, on their, I mean, everywhere. I mean, you know, it's 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 much more acceptable now. And I, I don't and know what, what they what don't that, realize is. As you start getting older and everything starts, you know, sagging, sagging. and going south, man, those tattoos. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, but that's the whole thing is you don't think about that later, right? It's like, you know, and I got I got to tell you, even in college, I went to college uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Never saw anybody with a tattoo until I went through uh, basic training, went through military and stuff. But even then, Murph, you remember it too. It's like even um, applying for law enforcement. If you could see a tattoo, that was a disqualification. You couldn't get hired if if you you know if you wore a short sleeve shirt, but somebody could see your tattoo. Mm-hmm. Then then it's you know but then the problem to your point, Mundo, it got hard to recruit people. So what did they have to do? They had to change their standards. Right. They had to say, well, you can have a tattoo, but it can't be. But I, I tell you, there are some times where I look at people and they have what they call sleeves, you know, it's like from their shoulder all the way down to their wrist. And I'm going, mm-hmm. you know, for all that money you put in there, that could have been a down payment on a car or maybe pay off a college loan. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand that attraction. And, and you know, and, and again, that that part of it is not uh, an indictment on anybody but but what I what I think what we're discussing here is how it carries over into the uh, the gray area with the gang with the gang people. Oh well, you know, uh, you know, I got tattoos. Uh, that doesn't make the person. That used to be the argument that gang members used to make to their parents. We used to make those to our parents when we were putting on tattoos. Uh, you know, to to oh, and and dressing up like gang members, you know, wearing khakis and Pendleton's and the dress, the attire that we used to, to put on back in the day. Uh, and we would protest to our parents and say, the clothing doesn't make the individual. That's bullshit. It, uh, and I'll tell you why, what I mean when I say it's bullshit. If you are dressed in gang attire and you're walking down the street and another gang drives up in a car, and they recognize somebody dressed in similar gang attire. I know times have changed, but what's the first thing that comes out of their mouth, at least in a, with a Hispanic gang member? Where are you from? There is no right or wrong answer. If you're not from their neighborhood, if you were from their neighborhood, they would know. They wouldn't be asking you, where are you from? So when they're and if asked, you're not from their neighborhood, yes, you got problem. And it, it it's tantamount to a challenge from which there is no right answer. If you say you're from nowhere, they're they're still gonna they're still inclined to cap you. If you say you're from another neighborhood, they're gonna open fire on you. Anyway. And God forbid you say you're from the wrong neighborhood, that's their biggest oh, rival. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you bring up a very good point. It, it's from the movie, but I know Patton was I don't know if you ever saw the movie Patton. 
with George C. Scott, oh, yeah. where he played General Patton. Yeah. He actually had a great line, and you bring it up too. It's one of the reasons why, and I'm getting philosophical here for a second, but it's one of the reasons why I never got tattoos. I never did that route. But Patton said he made he made his he made these guys start shaving, getting up, dressing. He says, you know, if they don't look like soldiers, they're not going to act like soldiers. So you had to make them dress. You had to make them be proud. With the state patrol, when I was a you know a trooper and stuff, they measured all of our uniforms. They were custom made. They came in battle uniform, came in and they did stuff so that we looked good in our uniforms. You know, it was part of looking the part. But you brought up something. This has always been my philosophy. I never got down, and I want to ask your. Uh, I want to ask you to think about it this way. Let's say that um, we were uh, uh, in conflict with each other. I'm the cop. I'm the detective. You know, you're the banger, and I'm talking to you. I'm going to interview you, but I'm coming at it from a different place. I'm not trying to get down to your level. I'm not using your language. I'm not using you know your street language. I'm I'm doing what I do well, which is I know my language. I know how I talk. I know I I know how to interview well. I know how to interrogate. Does it make a difference when you got somebody coming at you that says, "Look, dude, you're you do what you do, but I do what I do. I'm a pro at what I do. I dress the part. I look the part like a pro." Does that make a difference in that gang member's mind to when you've got somebody who's not playing their game? They say, "Look, it's easy to come down to your level. It's very difficult for you to operate at my level." There's there's something to be said about uh, both because I know many guys that. I mean, they, they, they don't pour it on like Edward James almost or anything, but they understand the streets so well that they can talk the talk with them. And, 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 and that's like a, like a rapport or a connection that's either, that's either going to help them. If that gang member is predisposed to not interact with you, regardless of who you are, then they're going to dummy up on you anyway. Okay. But, but uh, that, Many times that will work with certain guys, that uh, communication there, that ethnic communication. If you're a black guy and you talk the talk from wherever, you know, from from the Bronx or whatever, okay, that'll help you. But there's also something to be said about the Peabody's of the world. Peabody was an LAPD guy that I remember that had a, and Jeffries, very good rapport with the community. He didn't talk the talk. He didn't look like a gang member. He was, they were white guys and they immediately went to the parents. They, those, those two guys immediately went to the families and talked and got got cozy, familiar with the fathers and mothers, and mostly mothers, because most of the guys didn't have dads at home, and mostly the mothers, and would talk to them and say, look, what can I do to help you with your son? Because he's going to end up behind bars. I caught him with an open container. I poured the beer out. I gave him a pass. I gave him a break. I just brought him home to your custody. Next time, I'll take him in. I told him that. What can we do to help? What can you and I do to help? And that's how they developed their informants. It was it was mom who'd pick up the phone and say, "Hey, there's some there's a group of guys over here. I think they're getting loaded on on dope. I'm not sure. Uh, could you please uh, come and break them up?" Or so the, that's how developing informants, establishing a rapport, letting them know that that you care, establishing a credibility, and whoever says, uh, I'm not a babysitter, I'm not a, a, a shrink, I'm a cop, that, that was back in the day. Today, I'm sorry, but you are all of those things. You, especially if, you're, if you care about the job that you do, then you're going to be a Dr. Phil 
you are going to you are going to have to exercise some customer service skills in talking to a gang member's parents what's wrong with that you're establishing a rapport you're helping uh, uh, your partners that patrol that same area not to be looked upon as the enemy. I got a question for you, Murph. Have you ever had those times where uh, you worked with an informant and it got to the point where the informant really trusted you? They would start, they would not just call you about crimes that are going on, but they call you up with girlfriend problems, you know, work problems. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. How funny. And, and, I mean, you talk about having to go into an undercover role because I didn't give a crap about their personal lives. You know, I, I was about business, but you've got to come across as if you do care if you want them to continue to produce. Yeah. And I had a, I remember one guy too, I, <laughs> he ended up, he ended up doing some work for me. Actually, you know, we cleared some cases and stuff, but I remember the phone rings two o'clock one night. What the hell, you know? And it's, uh, the, the department, Hey, this guy needs to talk to you. Okay. Call. What's going on, Frank? I won't give his last name, Frank. My girlfriend broke up with me, dude. It's two o'clock in the frickin' morning. But to your point, Mundo, it's like you made an impression on somebody. To your point, Steve, you got to sell it too, right? So you sell it. Hey, look, man, let's get together. We'll have coffee. We'll talk about it. But right. But 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 you know, Mundo, but you hit the nail on the head. I think with what it is, is everybody's got to recognize what their style is. My style was not to get down um, and, and get tats on and try and talk their language because I would have come across as fake, as not authentic. I would have come across as a poser, right? Yes, I was me, but I did me really well. But the one thing you mentioned, it's it's having those relationships with the family and other stuff because that's again, if you can't build that foundation, we did we did shop with the cop. We we try to do stuff with kids. Our, our uh, fraternal order police did. You know, we'd raise money, go out, take kids shopping, try and fill that hole for them. But it, it all goes back to you, right? It's that family unit, um, you know, because we're going to bring this to a close. We've got a few minutes left, but just, but, but it goes back to that solid family unit. I think you hit it at the beginning and I want to hit it this time. It's got to be getting back to where that family unit is intact. When you look at black Americans and you look at what's going on, where they were the most stable was back in the early sixties, where you had mother and father living at home. You know, you had two parent families, same thing with Hispanic families, same thing with whites, right? When you, when you start getting into that single parent family where their income starts dropping, they go into lower socioeconomic status, they're living in different areas. That's where the problems come back out. To me, it's just going back to that solid, quote, nuclear family, but, you know, solid family unit. Hopeless, has, hopelessness. Yeah. 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 You, you start touching on a lot of hopelessness. And when you don't have hope, you get desperate and you start getting uh, I don't want to. And you'll call take it. attention from whoever. I mean, you'll take attention from whoever gives it to you, and who gives it well is yeah. the gangs when they're recruiting you. And it and, and you become you become more bold, and uh, I don't want to call it courage, but you become more bold about committing crimes and not caring if you get caught because you're not going to get any time. You know, and that's I think that's one thing that amazes me most is, and especially with the gang members if this is a legitimate feeling or not, but they just don't seem to care if they go to prison. No, no. And then there's no longer, from what I understand out there, and uh, I say out there because everything for me goes back to California, is th they no longer have a California Youth Authority. I don't know if it's for budget reasons or other philosophical reasons, but those kids need, there, there has to be something uh, uh, for the kids, because otherwise they're they're at the mercy of the adults, and the adults will have them. Uh, they'll, they'll have them doing their bidding, and uh, and it'll become Absolutely. like like Mexico or or the Latin American countries. Mm -hmm. 
And we're going to have to talk about that too. So look, hey, well, let's 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 bring this to a close, and let's just finish up with this. Is is in terms of we asked you last time, what are you doing now? I know you I know you still go out and you talk to a lot of folks. What is it? I, I know what you're doing now. What is it you will be doing in the future? Are you going to change some of the things you're talking about? Have you got any new programs or any new things you're working on? New book? I think you were talking about a book when we last met too. Yeah, se- uh, several uh, several book projects, and one of them I, I'll, I'll take the liberty to reveal. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie Colors. Uh, that yeah, was yeah, uh, absolutely Sean Penn and uh, uh, Robert Duvall. Well. The, the 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 real life uh, character that Sean Penn played was the character of Pac Man, and uh, who is t- his name is Tony Moreno. He's a LAPD retired uh, gang officer. So uh, it was his idea. Uh, I I discovered uh, some time back that he was born and raised not far from where I was born and raised and he was born on the white fence side of the freeway, which is, was our mortal enemy. And so he, uh, it, it was his uh, brainchild. And he asked me, what are your thoughts of doing a book together of two guys? I've, I've, we have provisionally t- entitled it the boys from Boyle Heights. So we both came from Boyle Heights. Uh, and so we're, it, it's a book, it's a case study on one guy, on two guys born in similar conditions. One became a gang member and came back, and the other one became a police officer. So that's like a, that's a project that we're actively working on. I'm I'm also uh, working on other books uh, on the uh, on the Mexican mafia on things that uh, that are that have uh, training value. Uh, also working on a project on youth, how gangs destroy families. So that's a project that I'm working on with uh, some individuals, uh, retired law enforcement guys and a retired gang member. Um, I, I've, I've been mentoring for over a decade. I've mentored some cartel members that were assassins that gave up that life and they were they were thrown at me <laughs> i jokingly say that uh, they were thrown at me uh by a guy that used to work cartels and uh and i've become like their their dear abby <laughs> or their dr phil you know which i don't care I, I i tease myself about that but i find it rewarding to be able to help them in some capacity uh, not to hate themselves, and uh, and a lot of that, a lot of what helps me help them is my Christian foundation, and so because uh, that's the only way I think that anybody can really be forgiven uh, or find forgiveness, I should say, is is to embrace the Lord and and to recognize that there is a God that forgives you, and um, so that, those are the projects. Uh, that I'm working on, uh, I I, I, I kind of feel like I'm in a race with time because uh, you know we we I'm I'm not in bad health or any, I'm in good health. But no, but I say the same thing. I got more years behind me than I have ahead of me. You know, you mm-hmm. got to make those last that next season of life. It's really got to count. Yeah, I want to be pro- I want to be productive. 
And your background, I, you know, you know what I think about your faith. God bless you. I'm proud of what you're doing. Like we said last time, I didn't think I'd ever call somebody a former Mexican mafia member a brother, but yeah. we're brothers in Christ. Yes. But your your credibility comes from your past when you're talking to these individuals. So, you know, whoever yeah. sought you out to be a mentor, what you tell them means so much more to them than what I would say or Morgan would say or even a pastor would say. Because somebody, well, I read a book one time that right. said this. You go, yeah, pal, whatever, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I did time. Yeah, Who there, there's think? a big... Who would think that my life as a bad guy would, uh, I mean, I still have some of these guys, and you're going to laugh when I say, when, when, uh, when active Sudeño gang members refer to Mexican mafia members or address them, they address them, one of the words they call them is tío, T-I-O, Spanish for uncle, all right? And, and, and that's that's just a normal salutation. Hey, tío, or yeah, he's a tío. He's a, he's he, you know he's one of the tíos. So that's almost like a like a word for MM member. Well, these these former cartel guys, some who have been in the California prison system and know of my past and this and that. I had a couple of them call me tío, and I'm looking at them like. I know what they mean. They mean it in the form of respect, but I, I'm trying to make them understand that, hey, that calling me deal from a gang's way of using it is not, I don't look at it as respectful, but I know that's what you mean. So I'll, I'll let you get away with it. <laughs> so we joke, you know, we joke about it. Why would they call me deal? You see what I mean? As if I'm a, uh, as if I'm still active and as if they're still active, they, they that's an old habit, but it, but it, it was a form of respect in the gang world. And it's a form of respect, even when you pull away, apparently. Well, apparently it was a good enough sign of respect that even though they know who you are and what you've done and you went against the gang, that they still referred to you that way. So I like the way you played it. It's like, hey, I know you meant respect, T.O., but when we're now in the real world where we're doing this kind of stuff, here's why you can't use T.O. This is why we have to change. If you want to change your life, that's it. You got to change the way you think about it. You got to change the way you talk about it. You got to change the way you dress. You can't dress like if you keep dressing like a gangbanger. You're going to end up going back to being a gangbanger. And, and that's the only reason, the only reason that I think when we talk about for using the example of law enforcement officers with all these tattoos and, and the gang attire and the gang look and this and that. Okay. It, it's not a personal attack on any of these guys. I bet you, I bet right. you 95% of them are salt of the earth. 98% of them are salt of the earth, kick ass, good cops. No, but it's the example, the example to the little, the impressionable ones that think it's okay to, to dress that way. They think it's okay to put on a tattoo, which could be a gang tattoo. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, I, you know, no, 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 no. You hit, you hit it because when I'm, you remember in the days too, remember when you were growing up, right? It was easy, real easy to tell the difference between the detectives and the police officers, yeah. you know, and everybody else, right? Sure. When it becomes so hard as that one blends into the other, you start wondering, well, where's, where's the difference? Where's the daylight between yeah. your position and their position? Right. Um, that's right. it. That's all. I we're mean, that's, have to, yeah. 
yeah, we're going to have to have a separate discussion all over again. So maybe we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll think about this too because there's there's still more territory to cover. But you go do what you do. Stay in touch with us. Let us know what's going on because we want to follow up on this. Um, again, great stuff. Uh, so first of all, thank you, Ramon Mundo Mendoza. Um, like I said, we've got his book up there uh, on our site. Uh, previous guest episode uh, 106, I believe it was. Um, wasn't it Murph? Or, 103. 103. I'm sorry. 103. It came out in the, in June. Yeah. Came out June 19th. So you guys go back and listen to episode 103, a lot of good stuff in there, but you know, Mundo, we thank you for coming on. And again, you've got a place, you have a distinguished place of honor in the hall of game of crimes. You are a, you are a, you are, you are our first two timer. Oh wow! And we're not talking about prison. We're talking about being a <laughs> yeah, guest yeah, on the yeah. podcast. No, no, no. I don't need that because then I'm a habitual criminal. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to do that. So you don't hey, want we'll third strike and you're out. Yeah, well, dude, keep up, keep up the good work. You're doing the Lord's work again. You're, you're back here for a reason. You got the breaks. You got the nine lives for a reason, and it's to keep doing what you're doing. Um, and look again. I think the Lord looks at it seriously. It's like you're saying. Murph and I could go out and we could talk about stuff, but it doesn't carry the same impact and the same credibility as somebody who lived the life who was there. And you can go, you can't, you you can shine other people on. You can't shine me on because I've been there. I've lived that life. I know what it's like. And this is why when you tell somebody they have to change versus me telling somebody they have to change, uh, you you bring a, hot, a lot more credibility and impact. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And we do appreciate you coming well, back. Well, on God Mundo. bless you guys. Thank thank you for having me on board. And uh, again, there's I feel like I've said the same thing, but many different ways and to di- to many different people. But that's okay. I mean, it's uh, you know, messages. I heard one time like training. Somebody said training is like bathing. Neither one is permanent. You just can't throw a message out there one time and it sticks. You you got to you got to come at them. You got to find a way to get it across to them until it sticks. So right. speak- and. and- you're not just talking about your past experiences. You're throwing out potential solutions on here's the problems and here's yeah. a potential way to address it. And that's what we really appreciate about having you on here. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, I mean, the, it's got to start in the family. I agree with that 100%. So right. thank you, thank you, thank you cool. for coming back on. All right. Guys. Well, when, when, tell me when you stop recording the audio because I want to ask you something. Oh, okay, that's the good stuff. Well, here's how you know that we're stopped recording the audio. Don't you guys go anywhere. You guys hang tight. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. I hope everybody was paying attention. You know, um, again, if you can't learn from this guy, I don't know who you could learn from. And this guy was what he did, what he was responsible for. He's given parents ideas about what you can do. Now, are all of them correct? I don't know. Your, as they say, your mileage may vary. But Steve, I got to tell you again, uh, when we talk with him, how gracious he was about giving us his time and being mm-hmm. transparent. We've talked to guys it's like William Rodriguez. He still kind of couch things. He's still, oh, no, it wasn't me. I was only a money guy. It's like they still weren't taking full responsibility. Mundo is like, no, I did it. I killed him. Here's what I did. Here's how I did it. Here's why I did it. He, he didn't mm-hmm. have any hesitation about telling us. Right. It was it was extremely educational. And, and most of our listeners know this. And if you don't, this is why we bring these people on. There are some extremely violent people in this world. And Mundo was one of them. And his cohorts, all his colleagues that he was in prison with, that he hung out with when he wasn't in jail, these are people that will kill you just simply because they they feel that you disrespected them and not and kill you in a very heinous way, not just come up and shoot you and let it go at that. T- 
torture you. And it's just amazing what goes on out there. But believe it or not, there's still some some uh, uh, Pollyannas or I don't know what you'd call them that don't believe that things like that happen in our world. What a naive uh, way to look at the world. It's sad that it's like that, but it's true. And thank you to Mundo for you know being open and honest with us, giving us the inside look of the mafia there, the Mexican mafia. Brother, I hope you stay on the right side of the law. Uh, we don't. None of us have that many years left, and uh, we know where we want to go when this is all over. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, um, I hope you guys learned a lot from that. I did too. And like I said, it's it's interesting listening, and it's list. And again, it's that age kind of 12, 11, 12, 13. That is prime recruiting stuff. It's the area where kids feel disaffected. They're looking for attention. They're looking for validation. They're looking to belong. They're looking for somebody to appreciate them. Uh, as tough it is, and look, we've all, I mean, you and I have raised kids. We've all gone through those stages. That's a tough time to go through, you know, but mm-hmm. you you got to be there for them. You got to be there for them. So, hey, look, guys, um, again, we didn't want to make light of this. Um, you know, this one's just kind of a straightforward thing. Um, so, but just make sure you go visit us, you know, gameofcrimespodcast.com. Visit us on the socials at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Visit our Game of Crimes fan page. Just go to Game of Crimes Fans. Uh, type that into Facebook. Join our private group run by Sandy Salvato, our favorite mafia queen, uh, the, the the Iron Fist with the velvet glove. And also join us on patreon.com slash game of crimes. I mean, we put a lot of stuff there. So apologize for the brevity on the intro outro. You guys have heard it before. But this one, again, we wanted to respect the topic, not disrespect um, the memories, mm-hmm. you know, the people who've died because of this. And so we hope you guys appreciated this. Hope you guys learned something from it. And we want to thank you guys once again for playing as you found out, the biggest, baddest, most truly dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 